Boom! Hey listeners, this is Dr. Alan Trites, and great health does not have to be a mission impossible. And today's podcast, and I don't know if I'm going to get through all the information that I need to get through. Uh, today I'm going to talk about childhood development disorders, specifically with uh, in regards to dyslexia, processing disorders, learning disabilities, attention deficit disorder, ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and autism spectrums, which um, part of this is going to include pandas and pans, obsessive compulsive disorders, and Tourette's. So uh, we, we're going to go through um, quite a bit of this because in our office we see a lot of kids. And the reason we see a lot of kids is kids aren't getting what they need to thrive, what they did 50 years ago. And it's not the parents are, oh, we're just going to you know, sit them next to the TV and feed them mac and cheese, or, or and, and it happens, I got it. But that's not the majority of parents, especially the ones that come into my office. They're very health conscious, and they, they have an idea that uh, this is not normal, um, that, that things are happening. So just, just to give you an idea of what's happened, this is just going back in the last 20 years, a little over 20 years. So in the year of 2000, the rate of just this thing called autism was 1 in 150 children, um, 6.7%. And... It started to grow in 2004, where it got to 1 in 125, and then 2006, 1 in 110. Then in 2008, 1 in 88 children had autism clinically diagnosed. Now, understand that there are multiple facets that, um, or multiple conditions where there's such a thing called the spectrum that you can be on, and you may have not been tested for it. So even these numbers can be higher. These are actually clinically diagnosed cases. In 2010, it was 1 in 68 children. So this is going to be tough on teachers, especially those that have um, like middle school and high school where you have multiple children rotating through. The, the probability of them having autistic children in their classroom is is relatively high. In 2012, it got to 14.6, or I'm sorry, percent, which is 1 in 68 children still. And then 1 in 59 children in 2014 and it's estimated that we're going to be 1 in 33 children by 2024. So our children need help. And what are healthcare professionals doing to manage this? What are they doing to get ahead on this? Now, I'm going to spill the beans right now and, and right up front. There are like 2,000 research articles on PubMed and out there by the... Um, that are sitting in the Library of Congress to go research that you can go look at. And in these articles... It's not vaccines. I know that's going to uh, upset some people that they think that, you know, I've got vaccinated and therefore I had this issue. No, it's not vaccines. It's prenatal. It's prenatal. So the pathophysiology, which means how a condition or a disease starts for autism, starts in the first trimester. So my question is, what do healthcare professionals do to manage maternal prenatal risk factors? What do they typically do? If you go see an OBGYN, um, they give you, and, and we've gone through this, we have uh, six children of our own here, and, and they give you a sack of prenatals, hopefully, they still do that today. Um, and uh, we have four grandchildren, so we, we know that they're still doing that. We just haven't had to do it ourselves. And here's your sack of prenatals. Try to take one and see if it makes you feel better. Um, if it, it makes you sick, don't don't take it. I'm pausing for a minute because that's it. And so if there's any OBGYNs out there, or you have an OBGYN, um, tell them to send their patients, especially their first trimesters, to our office. Um, they don't have to come in for anything else, but they need to have nutrients. 
to help them out. And that's really what it is. And that's just a stinking guess. Um, I mean, you can get a little bit more specific with a muscle test and you can get very specific if you're looking at blood tests or genetics to find out what that individual needs to best support them. Because folic acid versus folic acid S versus folate versus methylfolate are completely different. And they work differently. And depending on the genetics that you have, they work differently inside of you. And these are the things that you'll you want to understand and, and help out so we can have what's called prenatal factors. But then there's also postnatal factors. And then we have to understand what the brain of a fetus needs to develop properly. And what, in the event that it happens, do you do or can you do so to support a child that has developmental delay or a developmental disorder? So these are all complicated conditions <clears throat> and getting the right understanding of what's going on and having a doctor. So if, if you, you have an OBGYN, of course, you should also have a pediatrician that's following that um, or what's called a functional neurologist, somebody that's qualified in that so they can actually see these pediatric milestones. When are you doing this, this, and this? Are you able to do this? Are you developing properly for this? Uh, in our office, that's what we take them through, especially when they come in here. So if a child comes in and they still have a rooting reflex at the age of eight and they're they're wetting their bed, guess what? Um, they they didn't develop, right? This is not autism. Now we've had some parents go, oh, they didn't, they're underdeveloped. They didn't know that pathway didn't develop. So we're going to work on that pathway. Or their speech isn't right, or they're slurring this, or they are uh, dyslexic or they're overactive, or they have food allergies, or they have eczema, there's usually a developmental condition. And that condition is called neurodevelopment disorders. And these are neurological-based conditions that can interfere with the acquisition, retention, and application of specific skills. Now, this could be even digestion that comes along, which can lead to um, a lot of autistic kids or those on the spectrum have leaky gut and other things that go along with it. So they uh, their palate because of the way that their brain developed they only want things that have gluten and sugar that light their brain up and make them feel better so they usually have a very small limited palate only going to eat chicken nuggets only going to eat um you know skittles only going to eat uh, anything that has msg in it um not going to drink water I, I need some sort of you know sugary drink well that's because of the way that neurodevelopment happened now uh, in society, they may have a dysfunction in attention or memory, or they can't perceive things like, for instance, they they don't know that they're very loud, or they don't know that they're hitting too hard, or, or being um, too aggressive. Let's say you're petting a dog and they're just, you know, uh, if you've ever worked with these children, it's not that they're not loving, it's that they're, they're petting the dog really hard and it's hurting the dog. So perception isn't there, but there's other other conditions that happen with that. Language can be an issue, problem solving, social interaction. So there is a window of opportunity when it comes to childhood neurodevelopment. So if you have a child in need of this, the sooner the better. I'm, I'm going to say that again. If you have a child in need or isn't developing right in any of the conditions I said before, the sooner the better. Because once they hit a certain age... It's locked in. You can't do anything to change it. You might be able to help maybe uh, with inflammation or, or, or some other little things. But let's say you have a 40-year-old autistic child or uh, it'd be an adult, autistic adult coming in. You're not going to do anything for them. It, it's just not. You're not going to, you can't reverse it. You can't, and not that autism can be reversed because it started in the womb. 
but there's nothing you can do to enhance their life. Um, you might be able to help them with digestion um, and other facilities, but that's about it. So when we have a child that has a developmental disorder, let's say it's autistic, you know they can have other things. They can have obsessive compulsive disorder. They can have a sensory processing disorder. They can have anxiety. They can have depression. They can have ADHD, which is now underlined with uh, ADD. And they can have dyslexia. It's not just one because it's in the brain. The brain overlaps. There's quite a few things that go along there. So uh, at least in our office and hope in any office you take somebody to if you're listening to us, you need to be able to name the condition and identify the type of impairment. So the conditions could be processing, meaning that you know every time they hear a sound or they, they, they get very anxious or they get very angry or dyslexia. Again, dyslexia is, is just like autism. It starts in the first trimester. Autism and ADHD, and then the, the impairment to them might be they can't learn, or they can't feel or sense things, or they can't ambulate their, their motor, can't catch a ball, uh, they don't seem to walk right, they can't, they, they walk, um, what, what parents say is they run funny. So have you ever seen a puppy run, and I'm not trying to compare kids to puppies, but you know, they're all growing and they're all learning, puppies too. And sometimes a puppy will run sideways. Well, every now and then as a child's developing, they run sideways and it makes me giggle, but I know that they're going to grow out of it. But you have, let's say, a, an eight-year-old come in and their parents say they're running like a puppy. They should have grown out of that. Um, you know, they learned to walk seven years ago. Why are they Why are they doing that? How about communication? Can they effectively communicate and get things going? So these are all the portion of it. So if, if you don't communicate, then there's going to be speech difficulty. If you have trouble learning... Then you have difficulty in reading, writing, math, language development. If if you have a child that has sensory impairment, the, their sensory processing could be hyposensitivity or worse, hypersensitivity, where everything makes them mad, or they have to wear earphones or earplugs and they can't go out uh, into loud places. And then if it's motor impairment, it might be difficult coordination, movement, and fine motor. And if it's psychological, it leads to more anxiety, uh, obsessive compulsion, and of course, over time, it will be depression. So being in an office and figuring out what those mean is, is extremely important. And, and the doctor that you go to has to understand brain function, has to understand what the hemispheric portions of the brain and each what's called lobe and division of the brain and what they do. And you should have a full neurological examination. You don't have to have an MRI right up the front. But you also have to have an examination of your lifestyle. What do you eat? What do you do? Where do you live? Um, is there any triggers in the house? Every time you go home, is there mold that does it? Is, um, you know... So let's let's go back to investigating some of these vaccinations for just an just for an example here. Did the vaccine cause the autism? No, the autism was already present. However, in the in autism, their brain didn't what's called descend, and because it didn't descend, the lower part of the brain wasn't developed properly. Just like the gut and lungs don't develop properly, so they're more susceptible to leaky gut immediately, especially after an antibiotic. Um, and then you have you give them a vaccine, and then if you give them a vaccine and follow it with Tylenol, uh, which depletes with thing called glutathione, which is a major antioxidant to protect your blood-brain barrier, yeah, they can go to the brain, and it's not like they're getting into the brain and all of a sudden this toxin, this vaccine toxin is is irritating and created autism. No, it was that they had a leaky brain because their brain didn't descend and they didn't have enough glutathione. And then you did something afterward to calm them down to deplete the glutathione, uh, or not. It, it, it can be both. 
And now that product, which was never supposed to have never had the intention to get to the brain, it was supposed to stimulate the immune system to do something, has now gone across the blood-brain barrier and is irritating the brain, and now you get more symptoms. Guess what? When they eat MSG, it does the same thing. They get more symptoms or gluten or sugar or these things that light the brain up. And so you get these conditions that go along uh, with it. So I'm just... I know, I know I do functional medicine, I know natural doctor, but it's, this is, this is where the research, you know, 25 years ago, I, I wasn't against vaccines because I, knew, I could recognize what polio and, and smallpox had done to the world. I didn't understand the flu because I could see people get the flu vaccine and get the flu, which is very common in what's happening today with a particular pandemic. Um, I could see them get sick after they got it, even though they wouldn't, didn't have exposure to the flu. I could see them have other conditions after a flu shot but you never really saw that after polio you never really saw that after uh, smallpox you never really saw that after mmr uh you never really saw that once uh, even even the kids that, that didn't ever get chickenpox but they got a chickenpox vaccine you really didn't see that um and that was me working in the hospital that was me doing research that was me seeing things clinically i didn't see that um there were other vaccines like gardasil and meningococcal that we did see uh, reactions to, and we do see when uh, elderly people get their pneumococcal uh, vaccine, it, it tends to be well for them. They tend to tolerate it well. They don't seem to fall apart. Um, you know, usually it's an injection site ouchy and it goes away within a week and, and then they don't get pneumonia, which is kind of a scary thing at that age because even the great Jack Delane, if you ever saw a Jack Delane show, he died of pneumonia. I mean, granted, he was like 94, but he died of pneumonia. And um, because it was so natural, I really doubt he got a pneumonia shot. But, you know, maybe there's a time and a place to consider that because things do slow down. You, you don't plan on having diabetes, but, you know, uh, maybe you don't exercise or eat the way you, you did. And it's there, okay? So that puts you at a higher risk for these other things that go on there. So uh, I just want to go through some of those uh, highlights. Now, here, here's what happens. I'm just going to give you some background on what's called brain architectural development. In the first 12 to 24 weeks of gestation, so first and tri second trimester, so that first first trimester is most important. The second one is, is important too. But we're talking about how the brain comes down. This is where autism and dyslexia set up. And then in the first two years, you start getting what's called synaptic density. So the brain is born, if you remember back to our, uh, if you have to listen to our Save Your Brain Part 1 and Part 2, the brain comes in and it's like a little Charlie Brown tree and you got a bunch of them and they got a little bulb on them, but they're not connected. And so in the first years, we want to see those trees start to become hedges and bushes and get very, very thick. And if they get a little overborn, uh, the brain comes in and it's called pruning. It's just, you know, every week you're, let's say you're, let's say you have a landscaper uh, that comes in and they, they trim your bushes. That's what synoptic pruning is. And that's, that's normal. Uh, of what's going on there. Now, in, in autism, you're supposed to go out of the white matter and get into the different cortical sides of the brain. So the what's called the cerebellum and the uh, temporal lobe. And the frontal cortex are all developing at the same rate. But in autism, their um, impaired neurons do not migrate down. They, they stay in the white matter. So that's a problem. And so you don't get these other things. And, and this is the same way that happens with um, dyslexia. And dyslexia, you can actually kind of go check uh, genetically and see where that's going on. But again, they don't, they don't 
go down. And that, that's so I want anybody who's listening, whether it's a, a mom or a dad or a grandma or grandpa or somebody that, that is thinking about having children go, oh my gosh, their autism rate is like nuts. Um, what am I going to do? Am I going to have an autistic kid? I want you to understand that it's the first trimester. And I want you to understand that the prevention is what you do in that first trimester. It's not genetic. Um, it's it's that and that you didn't do something afterwards. So if you have an autistic kid and, and it happened after they were vaccinated or after, let's say there was a, you know, there's accidents that happens. Kids learn how to crawl. They get out of cribs. Um, they, they unexpectedly learn how to roll all of a sudden when you have them sitting on a bed and they fall down on their head. I mean, these things happen. Um, you didn't cause autism by that. Or, you know, you slipped and fell. I remember my uh, ex-wife at the time holding one of our babies and she tripped on a stair and fell right down and top of uh, one of our children. Um, you know, that. but we've seen that in the office where somebody's had something similar to that. Was it really a traumatic brain injury? Not really. Um, but it's, it's scary. And so you, you start to blame yourself that you did it and, and you didn't. Um, it was development in the first trimester. I'm trying to drive that point home. So if there's going to be future children, um, we need to talk about what does that mean? Um, and what are we going to do to help uh, the process of that? All right, so in our office, we take a look at when somebody comes in, especially a child, we look at primitive reflexes because you haven't developed there, you're, you're not going to get to the next thing. So gross motor skills, um, are they able to ambulate, sit there, sit up, smile, um, those those things? Can they have any posture and balance? And that has to do with the cerebellum. Or do you have fine motor skills, which start to do with the uh, parietal lobe versus gross motor is, is still uh, frontal, but it's also cerebellum. And then we get to language centers, um, which is going to be the parietal and temporal lobe. And then we get the cognition and then social emotional behavior. So there's there's a progression that goes along there, and it's all uh, well. When when does it happen? Um, so primitive reflexes. If you've never heard of these, so there's a sucking reflex, a root reflex, a grasp reflex, a startle reflex, a tonic labyrinthine reflex um, that every child in our office gets up to the age of 12. And then we we want to make sure that they're not in a fight or flight mode and here's why because if you're in fight or flight you're in a sympathetic tone the heart rate's elevated the your pupils are dilated you and what that does if you have a very high sympathetic tone you have a very low parasympathetic tone well parasympathetic is pee poop sex digestion immune system and blood supply and blood sugar so you get decreased digestion you get decreased swallowing you get decreased saliva production you get increased bloating and colic and all the fun stuff that goes with that you have an irritated child they don't sleep because they're in a fight or flight um, mechanism so if somebody hasn't gone and checked even primitive reflexes on you, you're in the wrong place. So find another doctor that does it. So these are the little things that you really, as a parent, you, you want to hear and know about. And then when you're in the doctor's office, they're explaining and telling you about, hey, this is where you're at in the development. And, and it's not like... So again, we have children or grandchildren you know, whether it's going to the pediatrician, they're in the 37th percentile, they're in the 90th percentile for growth or their head size or, or whatnot. What does that mean? Um, it means a lot if you're above it or you're below it. It doesn't really mean much inside. Tell me where we're at on our primitive reflexes. Are we developing brain? Am I making my milestones? Am I able to roll at the right time? Am I able to walk at the right time? Am I able to eat my own food? Am I able to feed myself at the right time? Those are milestones. Um, that's That's important for child development.
The other part of child development and things that we encourage our, our parents that come to the office is, you know, for the first child, you do everything. You wash your hands. You, you Everybody comes in, you know, um, go through this medical procedure because you're going to see our, our child who is now in a bubble. We, we've all done it. Uh, then it changes over time. Go ahead and put that penny in lights on and see what happens. It's not going to kill you, but I bet you won't do it again. But there are things that mechanisms that control influence of how your brain, your child's brain develops. So they have to have what's called receptor activation. Now, in our office, every single patient gets receptor site activation. Why? I'm helping their brain develop. And receptor activation is synaptic branching and how the blood goes to the brain, what's called mitochondrial biogenesis, how, to, how it goes through its life cycle and how your body makes energy, and the release of growth factors. And then you have to actually feed yourself. You have to have macro and micronutrients, essential fatty acids, and antioxidants. And then the microbiome needs to be normal and needs to be stabilized. And, and this is more important in your uh, spectrum child, your ADHD child, uh, and definitely your autistic child because the gut microbiome, which is your gut bacteria, uh, and other organisms, what's called neuroglial modulation. They, they tell your brain to either light up and start being uh, overactive and aggressive or, hey, man, chill. It, it comes from the gut. So they have signaling agents that go there. It also tells your immune system what, what to do. Uh, so if the immune system is activated, you can get what's called microglioplamine, which is literally the same as having a concussion. When you have a concussion, it's you have an injury, you have inflammation in there, and that's what's called microgliopriming. Now, if somebody has a concussion, and then that starts to go away, and the symptoms and the headaches and everything go away, and then they go get the flu. Everything comes back as if they just had a concussion. Well, that tells you that you have microgliopriming. So that's how these kids go through ups and downs, and then, you know, even if they're medicated, and somebody's like, well, I don't know what else we can do. We can add more medication. Have you checked their freaking diet? Because you could be giving them food, that I've talked of already before in this one, including dairy, that prime microglial activation. So when somebody has a concussion, um, so my daughter, who was in uh, high school wrestling, uh, may or may not have a concussion. She was wrestling some girls and uh, what they call the heavyweights are about 250 pound young men were on another mat and one threw the other one and, and she was on the ground with another girl and they both weren't even paying attention and this man came over and landed on her head um and she everything kind of went numb for a minute but it came back and then of course she started crying because uh, it was scary <laughs> and of course it was and um so she came home and uh we were talking and making sure everything was okay and doing my my quick uh neuro assessment which i've now done more on her than any other child um in a, in a very short amount of time and, and everything was fine and passed and then she went to like we don't have every uh, like 99 percent of the food we have here is very very clean there are people children cousins grandparents who come over and sneak things in here that do not that aren't doctor tries approved and it happens so uh, and, and I'm not going to go into the kitchen and be there, or the pantry and be the, the, the Nazi and go through everything every single day. I don't have time for that. They have to learn how to police themselves. So anyway, somehow there was um, some, we'll call it sun chips or something like that in there. And she gets home and she's like, she starts to reach for that. And then she wanted to have, I guess, some string cheese, wherever that came from. And she reached for that. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm hungry. And I go, you know, well, 
A, those aren't supposed to be in the house. B, um, they'll in, in, encourage your microglioprimine if you actually do have any. And of course, she looks at me like, what? <laughs> I go, it's going to make your head hurt more and longer, and it's going to perpetuate this, and then we might have to take other things. Or, hey, sweetie, by doing that, you're probably going to have to take about two to three more pills than you're already taking, and we know you don't like to do it. You do that because you feel better. And that helped her get over that. So we have to be very careful with those things. Uh, it could be uh, if a child has anemia, you don't get enough oxygen to the brain or the heart. You have a cardiac condition. Sometimes they're born with a, a tautology of fallot. Uh, they have an uh, aortic uh, bypass. It's not perfect. And so the brain doesn't develop that way. So we have to teach the parents and the children have to do different movement. And we use a product called Right Eye in our office, but we also do balance and lights and therapy and sometimes just uh, even an infrared sauna. We have them hear things and smell things and feel things and get all kinds of input because this activates the what's called the mitochondria of the brain. So it has biogenesis, which means it makes more energy and more blood flow and more nutrients in the brain. Sometimes we have to do good supplements. And then in this case, you know, we have, um, you know, something to repair the, the uh, barrier system, which is um, our LG product. But sometimes we have to use um, memory support because it helps these things to get food. Or we have to actually give them energy night so that they can actually make energy before we look at anything else, I'm not looking at, I know I know a lot of autistic and ADHD kids get probiotics, but that's not the first mechanism that we should be going for. It's to help them make efficient energy because a lot of the times their activity and their, their attitude or how they drive themselves is because they don't have enough energy, so the brain is lit up. So when there's not enough energy, you get, especially to the brain and the nervous system, it overacts. It fires more. And when it fires more, you get overactivity, and when you get that, you get anxiety, and you get enough of it, you get depression, and there's all the fun stuff that goes along with that. So that, that's where we want to be very specific and help um, and, and be a little bit more promising. Now, as far as mothers go in that first trimester, if you have that question in your head, I promise I'm going to get that in a different podcast um, that'll be about um, prenatal and postnatal care and infertility so that we can understand what to go there. Because if I start to teach and educate um, our women in that role, hopefully we can slow and thwart this. And, and if, if my message doesn't get out, at least the ones who listen to it can slow and thwart and reduce the, the incident of, of autism in their family. And at least I've done something. So this is the information that, that I have uh, to provide you. Now, uh, when it comes to the microbiome and autistic spectrum disorders, there is definitely a different gut. And, and there are cases where they've done what's called fecal transplants, and these children have started to react better for the period of time. Maybe it's three weeks, maybe it's three months, and then it has to happen again. But generally, in the autistic spectrum, they, their palate's different, so they reach for different things. Often they're on medications. Often they have what's called medical comorbidities. Maybe they have asthma. Uh, eczema, some other things, uh, depending on where they live, and, and almost all of them have what's called gastrointestinal symptoms, and that's not considered normal development. Now, in ADD and ADHD, um, and even in autism, the development of the infant's gut microbiota is, is important with the with the mom themselves. So, if the mom has maternal gut microbiota, and in and she is, let's say, her diet is your standard American diet, which is full of junk food bunches of sugar and insulin surges and she's obese or if she has an infection and these infections can be in that first 
12 to 24 weeks. Then you have a high risk for uh, brain development. You have altered gut microbiota. You can have, for in this case, more uh, ADHD. But that's also where, where some autism comes in. So be aware of those things. And right now we have... Uh, this has been a long process for us to learn as well. What well, I know that a, a we'll call it a growing woman, the one that's that's growing a baby inside of her womb is there's a lot to go into, and we want to make sure that mechanically the mom is okay, and inflammation the mom is okay, and making sure that she's healthy. And, and it's taken me 20 years to get to the point that I'm very confident in what we're doing. And so in our office right now. Um, we have a dozen women who have, who are pregnant and all of them are out of their first trimester into their second and third, um, which is great. And, and a lot of them, and at least half of them came in because they hadn't been able to conceive and the other ones where, um, they've had trouble with conception and going through the entire pregnancy process, whether they were thrown up the whole time or, um, they're just in pain and suffering and so fatigued they couldn't do anything. Anyway. Every single one of these women in our office is, is just like, hey, I'm, I know I'm growing, but that's just about it. There's no fatigue. There's no um, morning sickness. There's All that stuff is just gone, which is great. I only have one patient who is, we just haven't been able to get over the hump. But as I, as I get to that in, in infertility, there is an age of which your percentage goes down, and she is quite a bit beyond that age. And so we're doing everything we possibly can to make sure there's something there. But um, yeah, I'm, we totally encourage her to do IVF, uh, understanding that there is still side effects and the potential for the risk of autism, the risk of ADD, the risk of all these, these childhood development disorders goes up astronomically when you get past a certain age. So there, there, are, there is that. But let's say you do have a child and let's say you did get sick in your first trimester. Um, you know, what can we do with mom? help her colonize. We have what's called Probiotic Max that we use. It's 250 billion. That's a really good way to start the role because we're talking about two people here. And then as an infant, we can, um, it, it, and this is where the C-section versus the vaginal is a big deal. Um, first of all, when you go through the vaginal canal, and hopefully all of you done it, but if you didn't, okay, it pushes on your head and it actually tells a part of your brain that you're going to start doing your own thing, like breathe. Uh, and then you're going to go through the vaginal canal and you're going to pick up different bacteria. And so you're going to be nourished by that. And that also helps when you're starting to get your breast milk. So that just feeds the bacteria that goes on there. So when you don't get, when you don't come through the canal properly, you get what's called dermal colonization of bacteria from a C-section. And formula does not provide direct microbiome support. So we actually have to give you microbiome uh, information. Now, we have time. If you can do that before the age of three. Uh, when we're really getting into solid food and diet and diversity and microbiome supported by your diet, we have a chance. So you can still have a C-section and then you could have an opportunity to help that child. Is it going to be the same as a child that came through vaginal delivery and was breastfed? No. Um, and then if you came through vaginal delivery when you weren't, weren't breastfed, you're still missing things. So there has to be microbiome help that comes along with it because you're talking about brain development. That's that wonderful 
portion. Okay, so they great they made it through your first. Um, you you got through the nine months of uh, gestation. You had your baby. Everything was fine. Uh, they got an antibiotic, or you couldn't. Your milk didn't come in, and that's that happens. What do we do now? And that's that's where where we have to come in and go. Okay, this is this is what we're going to do. We're going to try to do everything to make sure this microbiome, this child is okay. And then we instruct: be very very careful when you're using things that deplete glutathione. And so often we supplement with glutathione to help that along. Um, so let's go to the next topic here. Then the microbiome diversity, if it's not right, and this is where you really don't see asthma before three, but after three. Asthmas go up, allergies increase, and then childhood development disorders. Like they'll literally like stop. Hey, at three years old, they were doing everything fine, the same as their siblings, and they were thriving in Mother's Day out or preschool, and then now they're behind on everything. I think microbiome first. So we start talking, well, how's the birth? Where did it come? Were they sick in any of this time? Was mom, you know, we have to go backwards in time to go figure it out. Now, Other things that can decrease your microbiome diversity is malnourished children or the children who live in poverty and children who are in industrialized countries, but they have sanitary, um, they use antibiotics. So it really doesn't matter. Um, autism and risk factors for microbiome diversity hits everyone from a different way. And so depending on what diet or lifestyle or infections you get exposed to or hormones you get exposed to or chemicals you get exposed to, all these can affect mom and they can affect baby. So these are just some highlights to go through. And I just wanted to get my big to-do because I could be talking about this stuff for days. So as we're talking about children, there's a timeline for child development disorders when it gets to be a little bit more difficult. So again, fetal development is in the womb, zero to nine months, and of course there's childbirth. And hopefully the APGAR score is over seven because if it's under seven, it's a higher risk for development of disorders. Or if you had shoulder dystocia or a breach or preeclampsia or cesarean or reduced oxygen during labor, uh, or a prolapsed umbilical cord, those are all risk factors for development disorders later. Then, in that one to two year old uh, window, did you breastfeed? Did you give antibiotics? Were the, was your child exposed to toxic chemicals? What was their birth weight? Uh, if you have a low birth weight, again, those are risk factors that can lead to developmental disorders. And then after two, their microbiome, where, what's going on there? Uh, we just talked about that. Do they have any falls that hurt their brain? Do they have any infections that hurt their brain? Uh, what's their diet? What's their nutrient? I mean, one of my worst cringes that I see is I, I'll, I'll see somebody open a baby bottle and pour a pop in it. Um, they don't have a choice, um, but you do. So please stop that if, if you've seen it. or you know, I, I just don't even know what to say um, because... I can start naming off 20 or 30 things that, that biochemically just set that microbiome off an insulin surge and puts them at risk for um, you know, developmental delay and developmental disorders and infections and asthma and yeast infections and, and other immune dysregulation and autoimmune issues just by this thing that they started when they were two. Um, so we want to be very careful when we're doing that. And, and if you have parents... Uh, my parents were in the same category. I just didn't have the right words to say to them, but I want to make sure that those things don't happen to other children. It, and, and the nicest 
way I've figured out to do, I, I know you mean well, and just a little bit doesn't seem like a lot, but that little bit lasts the rest of their life. So freaking stop it. <laughs> and, until, and unless, you want, unless that parent knows about microbiome, which they wouldn't be doing it in the first place. I mean, that's like saying, now I know all about tobacco, but go ahead and smoke a little bit anyway. I mean, it really is that. You give, it's giving a child pop, cola, soda, whatever you want to call it, is equivalent of giving a cigarette, what it does to their body. So if they if that's what their intent was, and I've never heard anybody say that, but if they don't hear it that way, it's, it's just a little bit more. It's okay. It's a little bit more. I'm a grandparent. It's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, and another thing that we have to consider now is what's called electromagnetic fields and pulsed radiograph, uh, radio frequency radiation. So if you're sitting there with your laptop on your belly while you're pregnant um, all the time and there's not some sort of like EMF um, reducer so we have them in our office we have them online uh if you don't have them get them especially uh if you're around there because they do emfs irritate neurological development they irritate neurological dissension so we don't want to um dismiss that that they're not there because they're finding that uh use of you know a whole bunch of uh, electronics during pregnancy is it in is what's called we would call a risk factor for autism there, there's a ton that go out there so other types of what's called prenatal risk factors for child development well what's the health of the mom it, are, are they obese do they have blood pressure that's okay what's the age um have they ever used assisted technology um do you have any autoimmunity do you have any hypothyroidism? Do you take any medications? What's your stress like? Do you get exposed to pesticides, toxic chemicals, this thing like Roundup Ready? Do you have any air pollution that's around you? We talked about EMFs just a minute ago or infections. And then, you know, in our office, we talk about the above. But we also make sure that there's not a nutrient deficiency that can, A, dampen any of the above, or B, and or B, we want and to help the child uh, and the mom to nutritionally be stable. So that's where our starting point is and make sure that mom's microbiome are, are, are there. So there are some risk genes that go along with it. You might have heard of the MTHFR C677T and there's also an MTRR A66G. Um, both of these are what's called uh, methotetrahydrofolate receptor, receptor genes. And they have an increase in autism worldwide because they are mutations of what's called a folate. So with the folate, you get risk issues. Now, if you just heard that, I'm not going to go back in time and, and record that because we're just going to come out of genes. But that was my good friend, Danny, that's sitting here listening to everything I say with her two big ears. Uh, and she decided to get up and she ran against something. So um, bad dog. Um, <laughs> she won't even listen to that. But... Uh, she likes to listen to these podcasts, so I hope you do too. And so these these increase what's called the MTRR increases homocysteine, so it increases or decreases the ability of healing and repair. And so the other thing is, if these individuals, not just the genetic carriers, but just women in general, would uh, use folic acid supplements during pregnancy, they could significantly reduce the risk of Alzheimer's regardless of ethnicity versus women who did not 
use it. So this is in the Journal of Molecular Autism. If you get bored and you want to go look up that very, 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 very long um, product. And then polyunsaturated fatty acids in the brain. So every single one of our um, women who are with child right now, they get a ridiculous amount of essential fatty acids because that is the number one supplement out there. And that's why we carry a product in our office called Complete EFA. Um, it was developed really for pain and then brain function. And then we saw how well it did with pregnancy. And so we load them up. Um, and, and the thing is that the product we have, instead of having to take six that most people have to take, um, they kept shoving and shoving and shoving more things into the pill to where we can get away with one. Uh, and if there's a high risk issue or there's inflammation or the woman has autoimmunity, I give them two. So it's not a ton that you have to take as far as pills, but there's a lot in there. So that's a, a really good stopping point for this podcast. Um, I think I'm going to get into a little bit more. I think I'm going to give a part B on this because there is so much more information that goes along. Well, what are we going to do in the office? What do you, what did we get? What should you do? Maybe you don't live here. Maybe you don't want to come see me. Maybe I'm just annoying, but you like my information. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but if that's the case, I'm going to give some more information about what to do with these childhood development disorders. And then following this is going to be um, prenatal activity, infertility, and postnatal activity um, for your children. I know we have a lot of podcasts that you can choose to go with, and I appreciate you listening to ours. I hope this is of value and of, of, of very good information. If you heard there were some products that are out there, you're I encourage you to go to our website at choosenewleaf.com. Under there, you'll find a shop, and you'll be able to go there. Uh, if you'd like to treat yourself and your family at home, uh, get my book called Treat Yourself. And then also, there are videos and self-help guides that you can, let's say you had um, um, a headache or a runny nose. We actually have ways, five different ways in one video that you can treat yourself at home so you can enhance your health and feel better. Um Thank you for listening. Great health does not have to be a mission impossible. Be well.